my issue with this is that poor Rosa has been banging her head against the AIA wall for years, right? Oh, and this is a huge setback. Well, it's a huge setback and yet a a huge opportunity. But here's my issue with Ivy and the rest of the AIA national board or who the leadership in general is that she's been asking for these things for years. She has been putting numbers down right and she's getting no support from the aia or very little i should say i mean she gets support from her, the local aia sf and and associate associated uh things around the the bay area to help fund what she's doing but the aia is clueless they don't they don't understand this and this is my point of bringing up the fact that i i don't think they pay attention to small firm architects which oh by the way make up over 90 percent of us in this country right they don't pay attention to us so this is just another example of they don't get it well let's let's call her up let's get her on the line and let's do a podcast Welcome to ArcaSpeak, a podcast about all things architecture. My name is Neil Pan. Join me and my co-hosts, Evan Troxell and Cormac Phelan, every other week as we explore what it is like to work in the profession of architecture. Have you ever worked with an architect? Have you ever wanted to be an architect? Maybe you're in school and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Or perhaps you know exactly what it is like as you've been working in the profession for a long time and you know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or maybe, just maybe, you're planning on changing the world. Join us as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture. It's time for some Speak. Welcome to episode 103 of the ArcaSpeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of ArcaSpeak is sponsored by ArcaSnapper. ArcaSnapper is a mobile app that enables architects and engineers to streamline common field reports and punch lists. With ArcaSnapper, you draft a PDF report on-site, then preview, edit, and send to anyone with a smartphone, tablet, or PC. ArcaSnapper will pre-fill repetitive fields such as the report date so you don't have to. Sent reports are logged by ArcaSnapper so you know who received your reports and when. Collaborate on reports with web links that can be shared with anyone. From drafting to sending with ArcaSnapper, you can cut your inspection time in half or more. ArcaSnapper is designed for architects that value their time. Join over 2,000 architects worldwide that already use ArcaSnapper to improve their field reports. Visit ArcaSnapper.com and download your free trial today. And thanks to ArcaSnapper for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. We're also sponsored this week by Arcat. You all know Arcat because they sponsor this show practically every week. They are a great friend of ours, and I actually got to catch up with them this last week while I was out in Las Vegas at Autodesk University, and they had a booth set up, and they were showing off some incredible new technology. It's not the standard big A booth that we're all used to seeing at the big trade shows. They were actually showing off an incredibly cool VR technology that they're working on. And the cool thing is, is that they're working on this tool for all of us. And I don't want to quite give away everything that they're doing in there yet, because I know it's not quite finished, but it's super close. Uh, But I just wanted everybody to know that Arcat is working on some incredibly cool 
stuff. And uh, I'm excited about two new tools and spe- uh, specifically that, that they're coming out with very soon. So keep your eye out at rcat.com for new announcements. But I do want to mention before uh, we jump into the show their ad. So we're all pretty busy and sometimes we feel like we could use another hand to help out. Would you like someone to draw CAD details for you, create BIM objects, or write specifications? How would you like all of that for free? RCAT is your answer and RCAT has already done all of this work for you. Search the RCAT libraries for CAD, BIM, specs, catalogs, videos, and more. All of this content created for you, free of charge and no registration required. Stop registering on sites for content. Just come to RCAT and find what you need. RCAT's created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. Check out RCAT today at ARCAT.com. And don't forget to provide feedback on the site. There's a button on the right side of every page. If you have a suggestion to make RCAT better, just click the feedback button and let them, t- and let them know that ArcaSpeak sent you. We would appreciate that because it tells them that you listened to our show and that you heard about them here. Thanks, Arcat, for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. And uh, here we go. We've got a cornucopia of guests tonight. <laughs> and Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's going to be Thanksgiving week. And just to start us off, we're actually recording... Well, before I get to that, we're going to talk tonight about the recent election, not about the election, but really the fallout from that, that really the AIA started after the election. And we're recording this about a week and a half after. And so we we have an opportunity to really comment on not only the fallout, but the reaction, and then the further reactions and the apologies and all kinds of stuff. So first off, I want to... Um, let our guests kind of introduce themselves and maybe say a little something about them themselves and then jump right into it. So first up, I'm just going to kind of go down a list here. I'm Greg. Yeah. Uh, Greg Walker. Can you, you know, say hi to everybody? Hi, um, uh, I'm Greg Walker. I'm an architect in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and an AIA member and uh, friends with most all of you here. So glad to be uh, part of the conversation. War Eagle. War Eagle, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Donna Sink, we have Donna Sink as well. Hi, Donna. Hi. Good to talk with you guys. Um, nice to, to meet fellow podcasters. I'm uh, I'm an architect in Indianapolis, also an AIA member, have served at the AIA um, in various ways over many years, and I'm super active on Archonnect, where I'm an editor and do um, just a whole lot of outreach about our profession. And it's great to be here. We really appreciate it, Donna. Thank you. Uh, next, I'm just kind of going down the list here. We have uh, Rosa Shang, who's been on the show before. So welcome back, Rosa. Thank you. Hello, hello. I'm Rosa Shang. I'm a registered architect in the Bay Area in San Francisco, California. And I'm also a uh, an activist as well as an AIA member. And like Donna, I also have served in several levels within AI locally and uh, currently also a Twitter activist. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And last and certainly not least of our our guests here tonight, we have Annalisa Pitts. Hi, Annalisa. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I'm Annalisa Pitts. Uh, I uh, actually work with Rosa in the Bay Area. 
um, where I'm also, I've been involved sort of doing research on um, equity, diversity, and inclusion in architecture. So excited to be part of the conversation tonight. Well, we, I really appreciate everybody. This is kind of unprecedented for ArcaSpeak to have this many guests. So uh, it, it'll be an interesting show. And we really appreciate everybody taking their evenings uh, to join us to talk about this. So first up, I just want to mention that right after the election, um, the AIA posted uh, a response. And so That's from a statement, of- a statement. Well, go ahead, Cormac. Go ahead and tell us tell us about it. So the AIA um, issued a statement of congratulations to the um, incoming administration and Congress. Um, uh, what seemed to be, to some people, a very innocuous kind of just general statement to, you know, hey, congratulations, we're um, going to be uh, looking forward to working forward, uh, working with you guys. And um, it kind of... Uh, what what seemed to be something that may not necessarily have been, um, you know, just like political or anything like that, uh, was taking a little bit of. Um, it, well, I'm going to let everybody else kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to. I'm not going to offer up an opinion <laughs> on what how it was taken because it was taken pretty. Uh, um, pretty. Um, um, what's the good? What's a good word? Well, let's just say there was a lot of reaction to it. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> a lot of reaction. So let's let's start off with asking what everybody else's our guest's reaction was to that. Greg, why don't you get us started? Well, I you know I think there's um, there's going to probably be two parts to how most members responded to this, and the first is. Um, you're looking at the original letter that the AA sent out and it seemed a little, um, uh, overly, uh, mealy mouthed. It seemed a little overly, uh, praiseworthy of the incoming administration. Um, and it was signed by our CEO, uh, for AIA and, and explicitly stating that it was on behalf of all 89,000 members. So where I think you saw some initial trepidation was from some of the members who maybe didn't agree um, with the assessment that the AIA was putting out. Um, and most notably probably saw uh, a lack of us articulating what it is that we stand for and, and what initiatives um, we may have uh, difficulty um, finding common cause with this administration. Um, And then from there, I, I, I think the initial reactions happened and, and Rosa can probably talk a little bit more to that. Um, the real blowback happened when the AIA uh, issued their first apology. Well, I think it was a series of things. Um, first of all, there was each person's individual reaction by themselves when they saw the statement. And in the heat of the moment with everything else happening, for me, it, it didn't register right away until it came out by, um, I think it was Architects newspaper or maybe Dezine had covered it where it was more of a prominent feature in the media, thus prompting further discussion. And the way I heard about it was through Twitter. Uh, Catherine Darnstadt from Leighton Design actually tagged me in a tweet to say, what do you think about this? 
and she was expressing herself and her opinion that it was a sell. It felt like a sellout, and right. you know, wanted to hear if there if everybody else felt the same or not. You know, so affirmation. Am I crazy? Am I thinking that making this up, or is this what I'm really hearing? Right. So, from my own personal viewpoint, because of the history of the election process, uh, an architect was actually dragged into that process, and. Um, Andrew Tesoro, he was on a lot of ads and campaigns. So, you know, it's not that, you know, it's a secret. Um, he had a history of not being paid by the president elect. And that I think was something that a lot of architects could not get behind beyond the politics or partisan or whatever you want to call it is the fact that somebody disgraced an architect by not paying them openly. And that it was something that, as a principle, we don't advocate for that. We advocate for getting paid for our services uh, within the course of professional responsibility. And uh, yes, there are the layers of things that happen on top of that, which is that the past actions of that individual did not support equity, diversity, and inclusion, does not support uh, defending uh, the climate change, climate challenge actions that we face. So that was the starting point. And real quick, let, let's just lay a little bit of groundwork in in that I'm, there could potentially be people listening who have no idea what's going on. <laughs> uh, that it's totally possible. I, I think we're very connected online, so we kind of we're, we're all talking the same language here. But there, it, it just could be one of those things that that has happened where you just have no no idea what we're talking about. And so, real quick, I, I know Neil kind of introed it, but. Um, Robert Ivey's letter to the president-elect and incoming Congress was about the $500 billion that has been, quote-unquote, you know, late put out there for infrastructure development, earmarked for that. And so that, that includes schools, hospitals, roads, all that kind of stuff. And, and basically, it was kind of a vanilla form letter, it seemed like. And it was signed, right? So it was, it was who knows, it could have been sent to either um, either winning candidate, right? We don't know. Um, we don't know who wrote it is one of the things that's been kind of pointed out. We don't know who, who vetted it previous to it actually being published. And so this is kind of where the blowback has come from, which is it claimed to have been speaking for everybody when it seems like it was actually speaking for very few. And it was more of a status quo kind of a letter. And, and to me, that's the, the lack of leadership in the letter is what I react strongest to uh, in, in that it was just so status quo and continuing. You, you see this a lot in, in the profession, which is let's just keep it going how it's been going. Right. And to me, it was kind of a stake that like, hey, don't forget about us. And so that's that's where I see the biggest, um, at least for me, that was a starting point when I read it for the first time was like, Where's our where's our stake? What do we stand for? None of that is being presented in this letter. And so then with the apology and then with all the the outcry, I mean, really, if 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 I'm trying to be empathetic toward Robert Ivey and the authorship of the letter, I kind of get where he was coming from. But it was doesn't seem like in a in a community of eighty nine thousand members, it's not representative because it doesn't seem to have had 
a broad representation within the letter that was written. So, and, and just to kind of put it out there, if you don't know what we're talking about and you don't know about all this stuff that's been going on, we'll have links to everything in our show notes that the original letter and then various news outlets that have covered this, Rosa's open letter, um, there's been there's been lots of this stuff going around. So I need to add that Annalisa wrote the letter and I, uh, you know, collaborated with her, uh, with other individuals that we know. So... Yeah, good point. So that, that'll that all be in the show notes so people can kind of catch up um, and, and kind of get the whole story instead of just just if, if this it happens to be the first time you're hearing about it. So that's it. Go ahead. I think the other thing that we do need to mention while we're sort of laying the groundwork is that the day that this uh, statement was released, so the morning after election, um, we also all got our renewal notices for AIA membership. <laughs> that I totally yeah. wanted to say that too. I, I got mine, and 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 then this comes, and it's just like uh, you just get it's like another punch in the gut. Yeah. You're like, wait, really? <laughs> yes. Because really, I mean, you know, yeah, we had the statement, and and I think, um, and I'm not going to say the name of who it was, but basically, they said, you know, it was more of what wasn't said. And using that as a platform, you know, here is a non-political, non-partisan professional organization that one voice is speaking for this entire organization when the entire organization was like, no, you don't. That's not what, <laughs> that's not what we're saying. And I think people, it took people a while to digest it all as well, because a lot of us do know Robert and have interacted with him. And it, and to his defense, he has been supportive of the initiatives that we have put forward. Um, so, but at the same time, one has to be held accountable for the statements that they do make. You know, so there was that kind of internal um, struggle in my own head uh, of how to react and what to say. And I think... At the end of the day, Catherine felt very passionately, and she started with the hashtag NotMyAIA. And then, you know, as as Donna mentioned, a lot of us were included in that conversation that day, which, you know, escalated to more people coming on and joining the conversation. And I think uh, a bunch of newspaper, uh, not newspaper, sorry, um, Architects newspaper and a lot of groups such as the architecture lobby, as well as, um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank, but, uh, they, they position statements basically, uh, challenging what AIA was representing about architects. Yeah. I, I think, you know, position wide, I mean, you know, there is, you know, from, statewide uh, professional AIA organizations to local ones to major firms and even small firms. I mean, there was in sole practitioners, there was like seemingly thousands of positions um, yes. positioning against the statement, you know, basically outlining that, no, you are not speaking for us and no, this is not, you know, appropriate for you to be doing this. But, but can we put, can we put this out there real quick that and I, I, I'm thinking you guys might agree with this, and it's not that I'm looking for agreement, but it's just this has become an amazing opportunity. It has. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the postmortem, that first voice of activism, enough is enough, helps people be courageous enough to say, I'm going to speak up as well, right? So the speaking up part is number one. But then what are we going to do about it is number two, right? And 
uh, I think that it's been amazing to see that even though it's been slow moving, you know, people complain about slow moving, how they should have, you know, it's too late. They should have apologized day one. There were members that, you know, have quit or have threatened to quit um, because they are too slow to react. But they have reacted. They did issue a video apology. There are critics of that. Uh, then they issued a statement that mirrored their video apology that they put on the AI website. So things are happening. There is motion. So, so let me ask you this. So they issued the video apology and um, what seemingly appeared to me as uh, two guys standing up there with a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. Um, wh- what was your rea- What was your <laughs> guys's reaction to that? Because it didn't feel like an apology more so to me. And I'm going to speak solely for myself here. It felt like, Oh hell, we were caught. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's both. I mean, um, to be fair, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, somebody remarked to me that that video, um, with, without hopefully the sounding bad. I mean, they they almost look like they were prisoners being you know, forced <laughs> oh, forced to read a statement, right? I mean, um, uh, in to some degree at least. But you know, I think they were. Um, I think they were conveying they were genuinely shaken by what had happened and um, were not expecting um, to see the kind of blowback that had happened. Um, And I think the first question in a postmortem that, that has been asked by a number of people that frankly we don't have an answer to is, um, you know, where it, where was Robert's role in all of this? Yeah. Um, and it's a fair question, um, you know, because you can look at this incident and you can say this is unwound any and all goodwill we built up with our entire ad campaign over the last year. Mm-hmm. The negative the negative press on this has undone all of that. And um, why did we even have to go through this? I mean, you know, it sounds like a silly question, but it's kind of like, why, why did we do this? And I mean, you know, again, I mean, when it, when this sort of first broke, I mean, I kind of got looped into it somehow. I don't know, either by Donna or somebody, um, on Twitter or I saw their feeds and I started tracking it and I really kind of stayed out of the middle of any of it until the first response came. I mean, the first apology first. and the first apology was just so condescending <laughs> and so, you know, oh, you guys and your little political beliefs are getting all worked up. Let's all just, you know, unite around the campfire, just like Obama said. Yeah. And it was like, what? You don't get this at all. I mean, you don't you don't you don't get why people are upset. And that's when it really took off. I mean, Architects newspaper did, I think they were the first ones who who probably started tracking it. But after that, and when it really took off on Twitter, uh, that's when you started to see it everywhere else. Yeah. I think it was the architecture lobby manifesto. Yeah. There's in Q space and, and a couple others. Yeah. But I think, I mean, there was an important turn in the conversation around the time that they issued that first statement where it it moved away from being about just anger and totally justified anger towards right. 
you know, this is really the time for us since our CEO has spoken on our behalf and articulated that our value is people who go out and get commissions. Let's talk about what, what we think our value is to society and let's treat this as an opportunity to capitalize on that. People are listening to us right now. Let's talk about the value we provide. And and maybe I'll, yeah. And I think it's a fair question for everybody here because, um, you know, I've had people who, uh, I, I mean, I tend to be left of center. Um, and I've had, you know, good friends who, who, um, may not agree with me politically in that way, you know, try to figure out, is this all about Trump? Is this all about, you know, our opposition to Trump? And I do think, Annalise, as you're sort of saying, there's certainly that element in some of the feedback, but for me, yeah, this, this very quickly became not about who won the election than just this seemingly outright capitulation of our organization to money. Yeah. Right. And that, that that's it, that that's all we stood for. And I think that the, the most powerful voices so far in this have, have tried to steer that conversation around and y'all's statement was fantastic. It was, uh, you know, has, have tried to steer this back around towards, um, human capital kind of issues, social capital kind of issues, um, equity and inclusion issues. And that's been, I think, I, I hope the AA will take away as, as the most positive outcome from this whole thing is that we are a professional business association, but we're much more, um, we're about much more than just, can we get the, can we get the projects? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because Annalisa and I had started working together and we quickly realized that there was a lack of data, you know, about the challenges that architects face. So we did the first equity in architecture survey and a lot of you had participated in that and that laid the groundwork for us to, uh, you know, write a resolution and we brought it to Atlanta and that was passed. So we thought we were making progress. And then this year there was the Equity and Architecture Commission and we had met. But the big problem is communication. Nobody knows that it's happening beyond just the initial press release uh, you know, at the beginning of the year. And there's a lot of good work that's been done to kind of... Uh, recommend best practices of how AIA can go forward. And the big problem is that it's not part of the DNA in our analysis that this type of thinking, which should be in the DNA of professionals, is not. It's not front and center as one of the core values. So what we're trying to bring to the table, I think, with our letter is a reminder of that, that it's even more important now than it ever has been before. Yeah. I mean, I think for me as a female practitioner, I, you know, I, if you're a white man, you get to look away now. You get to overlook it if you'd like. Um, so many people don't have that option. And they don't get to overlook these comments. And I'm not, there are so many wonderful white men out there that are completely <laughs> on the right side of this. But it's just worth all of us sort of remembering what our privileges are in this situation. And some of those privileges are looking away from these issues when it's expedient. And again, I would just add that this is a huge opportunity for us to, to bolster 
this entire conversation up and not look the other way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think I made this comment um, that maybe it wasn't his objective, but what Robert got out of this was an extraordinarily unified AIA. <laughs> <laughs> sure, they were sharpening their pitchforks towards him, but it, it started this dialogue, um, and you guys said it best, is like we started this dialogue to really let people know who we actually are and what our val- values are. And I think even, you know, Greg, you were talking about the goodwill of all of these uh, ad campaigns and stuff. I don't think that they fully even kind of let everybody know who we are and what we are and what we value. Um, and, I, and I think this oops uh, faux pas of, <laughs> of his kind of, you know, galvanized us to say, all right, you know, forget them. Let, let's us go ahead and, you know, write the narrative. Let's not let them write the narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I have, I was not, I had not been landing this on Robert Ivy's head as strongly as many people had from the beginning. Um, looking back, and the deeper we've gotten into it, the, the more disillusioned I've gotten about how the whole thing played out. Um, and then just today, Arconnect put up, um, they had asked if anyone had previous statements from when Obama was elected or before that, what, what statements the AIA has put out. And they found one from 2008, one from 2012. And without going too far into detail, I'll just say that both of those letters specifically mentioned policy positions and goals that the AIA has, including green buildings. Um, you know, including not, Annalise, I was just blown away by you saying, you know, that Robert Ivey's letter seemed to say our value is getting the commission, which is exactly how it read. Mm-hmm. Right. Where these two statements from the previous elections both talk about, you know, we, we, um, we have we we have values and goals that we want to work yeah. with the administration to achieve. Um, fundamental beliefs. Fundamental values, beliefs, yeah. exactly. As who we are as entities, uh, you know, a- a- as architects, as practicing professionals. Um, and and the more I sort of research into this, as I said, the more disillusioned I get about the how this this whole contretemps came about. It's 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 really embarrassing for us because, as you said, Greg, as many of us have said. All of that, the goodwill we've built up with the equity work that you all have been doing so hard with the I Look Up campaign, with trying to make us visible as great thinkers and problem solvers in the world, it it was blown, completely blown. How did this happen, Donna? I do not know. What happened? I do not know. (laughs) But it does, I guess, if we don't know that what happened, then my question is, how does this happen? Is is Ivy or the leadership of the of the National AIA are they that clueless or don't care? I mean, they clearly care right now. They've right, issued video they're... apologies and <laughs> other apologies, and Many. but uh, yeah, and but in and, defense of the board, I yeah. don't, and I can't speak for them, but I have the inference that they were not aware that the statement had been made. Like there was no vetting process, right? So lesson learned. Well, that, that that's a whole yeah. nother problem, right? Yeah. That's what I. What the hell asking. are they doing? What was the vetting yeah. process? I mean, the the second statement from 2012 that was that that Arconnect found was it says that it should be attributed to the AIA president Jeff Potter, FAIA. It, it's not signed by him, but it says these basically this statement is attributed to him, um, and the previous one had no author. So 
This one, this letter was signed by Robert Ivey. Yeah, it, it had a signature. Yeah, it, it just makes you think that Bob wrote it, you know, right as the election results were coming in and shot it out. And <laughs> yeah, oh man, I you know, so I, I I mean, I don't know where this came from, and um, I've been snooping and trying to find out, and I I honestly don't think it actually came from him. Yeah. Um. I, I, I don't have any evidence to back that up, but I mean, um, he has been, again, maybe to his credit, he's been more eloquent than this. Yes. Right. This does yes. not, the, if you've been involved in the leadership, like all of us have been, you know, this just does not sound like something he would have penned. True. But then we get into, you know, the blame game and, I think there's an accountability. Yeah. There has to be accountability. Yeah. Oh no, he's he's still the person at the top. Yes. Well, and 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 not saying anything kind of makes it worse. That that's how it feels to me. By the by it's nobody owning it at all. And in retrospect, I see it as also a technology challenge between digital natives and digital tourists. Mm-hmm. And it's a generational thing perhaps, but the way we communicate on Twitter, not everybody does that. Mhm. And to assume that, well, he must know. Yeah. And then the question had been asked a lot on Twitter. Well, have you told him directly? You know, so one, we can have a conversation on Twitter. But two, did you reach out to this person to voice your displeasure? Well, no, I haven't. So I urged everybody to do that. Mm -hmm. Write a letter. Yeah. If you feel so strongly, because that's the tested form of communication email that is kind of at least the same level. Everybody uses email for the most part Hmm. and because he didn't he has a twitter account but he doesn't he isn't on it he doesn't respond to it then it looks Mm -hmm. like he's not responding right so that's right adding to the problems not taking away right yeah but they have the resources to put a a video apology together and i mean there it's not like nobody's asking for for clear direction on where this came from that's that's obvious right i think it's just the speed of information and reaction where people want quick, fast reaction. And it is a process, right? One of digesting it, two of communicating displeasure or dissent, three, the person registering the dissent and how much impact it actually has. Usually it's like, oh, it's a couple of outliers or antagonizers versus, oh no, this is the membership. These are people that have been members for 30 years that are ready to leave. Yeah, but and and but I think on Twitter especially, I mean, I, you know, one of the points even I tried to make back to Bob and AA National when this was going on is exactly that. This is not this is not just a bunch of outliers. This isn't even just your members. This is your leadership. Yeah. And yeah. and as, you know, we've all pointed out, we've all held leadership positions within the institute uh at a reasonably high level over the last 10 years. And there were a lot of people at that level who were responding and whether or not, you know, and and so again, if it, if this promotes a conversation of how do you get a national to realize what this landscape is and how they have to participate in this in a meaningful way to head these sorts of things off in the future, or to at least provoke a kind of more interesting discussion maybe that's a good thing absolutely yeah you know in the long run but it's going to be a really painful lesson to have gotten from here to there 
So what's so where do we go from here? Because <laughs> yeah, we have to keep going. We have to get out of this mess we're in now. <laughs> yeah. So be- before we figure out where we're gonna go, go, I want to. I want people's. I want everybody's reactions to the number of reactions and what do we think that says about that initial statement? Um, because we've seen lots of press and lots of um, reactions from this. So I'm curious. What does that tell us about how the local AIA chapters and the state chapters think about this statement and what it meant? And I mean, there's there's a lot of wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, that he is not. That statement doesn't speak for what we stand for. Right. I mean, that that seemed to be the reaction that I see in a lot of these statements and. So I'm curious what everybody thinks about that. What I mean, why did everybody rush in? I mean, I know why, and but but it just it's it's amazing the reaction and the speed of everybody that reacted to this. And what does that say about what National is doing and maybe what they should be doing? Well, I think I just observing the different uh state and component chapters, the big SIBs, which are the largest component chapters responding, um, there's definitely a common core value communication tone, but then each component also has their own unique personality and style and community on how they wanted to respond to it. So some responded, you know, through their president with not only a letter to Robert, but also a letter to their membership. Um, Others chose to wait to respond because they did not want to speak for their membership, making the same, you know, mistake over. Uh, And it's still a continuation because some have not issued statements yet. Some are having town halls to discuss it. Some are actually supportive of the statement, you know, so even though we're not representing that here, we're representing the majority, which is dissent. There are those that are, do not understand why the statement was seen as so frustrating that people would want to leave. There is that. So does this tell us, or does this show, I mean, because we've heard people say that's it, uh, you know, especially when Annalisa said, oh, we got our our, our invoices that day uh, or that next day. Yeah. And we see some of the reaction of, well, forget it. I'm not going to rejoin or I'm, I may or may not. And there's a movement to rejoin, right? So that we can have a bigger voice. But I think what's interesting about this is that it really crystallizes. A a lot of people feel very disenfranchised by the AIA. Many architects do, Mm -hmm. especially smaller firm architects feel very disenfranchised. And this statement really was kind of the nail in the coffin to to the, a lot of that feeling many architects like this is a very expensive thing to be a member at least in california it's well over eight hundred dollars a year per individual and if you have a firm and you have employees the the fee just keeps going up and up and up and it's you know for people that are maybe struggling with smaller firms that's a huge percentage of money and when the AIA national comes out and makes this statement. It's like, okay, that's it. I've had enough of you guys. You don't represent me. I mean, maybe I'm getting a little sort of off topic, but I think this speaks to the issue that people have or some architects, many architects have with the AIA. 
there's many architects that are not members mm -hmm. and they feel that they're not being represented. And this is probably another example of how the AIA is not representing what some architects believe in. I have a counterpoint to that, though, because I was one of those members who, again, did not join AIA because I perceived the benefits as being having the AIA as part of being lic licensed, a, an accreditation, if you will, um, that, you know, being part of a firm that submitted for awards, etc. That was what it was important to do. I had no idea about the civic leadership or the leadership, etc., or serving until I reached a point in my career where I wanted to leave architecture. And it was actually the opposite where after, you know, 15 years of paying membership dues and not doing anything with that membership, it's like a gym membership. I wasn't doing my workout, right. Mm -hmm. Or, or yeah. getting any yeah. benefit out of it. I actually went to a symposium that kept me from leaving the profession. So for me, it's almost like paying it forward and realizing that there was more people like that, that were frustrated and didn't feel there was a support network, only to realize it was a, a matter of communication and finding those people and saying, yes, you do matter and you have a lot of value to stay. Well, to, and, and, and I feel like a broken record, but to me, again, this feels like the, the chance that we have to design what the future of this is going to be for the future generations, instead of just sitting and allowing it to be handed down from on high. And so this is a unique opportunity that hasn't come up, except in very small instances. This is a, a time for people to come together and decide what they really believe together to push this forward in a direction that we want it to go. And so I think you guys are definitely an example of a leader in that position with what you have done with through equity. One thing that I will say is the 30 year old associate member sitting in the room right now, there's no way I'd be on this call without the AIA. There's no way that I would have found my voice. There's no way that I would have the mentors that I have. I mean, if you are young and you want to shape architecture, um, and shape the national conversation, there are so few young people involved in the organization that you will have a disproportionately strong voice. Well said. And that's actually what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really critical. And I have said before in various, various fora that um, my view of AIA over the last five years has been one of young people and um, diverse people and people that want to do non-traditional practice. And they are... In my experience, the AIA leadership has really been pushing and trying to figure out how to hear those voices and help them along because it is a changing profession and a changing professional landscape. Um, and so uh, uh, I have seen young people and diverse, you know, people of different backgrounds and different focuses within the profession really have the opportunity to have a voice be heard. Um and I think maybe that's why this letter just felt like then such a slam back to the, you know, the, the, um, the old boys, the old school, uh, old boys club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So how does that make you feel? Angry. <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating, but I think that this last week and a half has also been tremendously um, affirming. It's told me that the stuff that we're doing is actually making a difference. And if you go to the AIA's website, a very clear statement of our values is on their homepage right now. 
that's never been there before. That's correct. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, I think to kind of follow that thread through, I think where um, it's, you know, we, um, we have a little, a little joke amongst some of us in, in AIA that, that there's a, um, uh, what one of our friends used to call the YEF mafia and it, and it's a group of people that are all, you know, sort of around the same age that, that Donna and Rose and I all are in our mid forties and <laughs> sorry, that's no generous, generous. I'm 50. <laughs> mid 40s um but i'll take that out i'll take that too actually i like that age mid 40s is good thank you greg perfect but you know but it's a leadership that really came up at a time when the aia was focusing on on trying to broaden the conversation to be about more than just hey how do you get the next job and it focused on um, you know, they, they sponsored summits and they sponsored, um, round tables yeah. and conversations and, and ways to get all of us involved. In fact, I think, um, Donna, you said before that was one of the first places you got involved in the AIA was to go right. out to one of these leadership summits. That was one of the first, right. um, major ones that I did, you know, was to do one of the EP summits. So it's, it's, um, it's provided this kind of conversation for a group that's, you know, around our age to talk about issues that are more important than, again, than just money. And I think where as an institute, now we've got to figure out how we're going to reconcile is the guard that's sort of passing through that, um, is more of the boomer age and probably practiced the way that the boomer, um, firms have tended to practice not all, but, but, you know, on the whole, as that generation yields to, uh, the leadership that's coming up now that, that brings these kind of values and these kind of conversations in at a higher level of importance. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting moment for the Institute. I mean, this is really just kind of broken out into the open in my mind, a, a, a conversation that's been kind of simmering for two or three years or maybe five years about, you know, how do we, how do we present ourselves? Because there is frankly a pretty big chunk of our membership that just wants us to shut up about this stuff and to, uh, just focus on getting us better fees. Greg, I'm curious who, who out there is saying shut about, shut up about this. Uh, I, I will tell you, um, almost if you look at the responses that have come from chapters, just for example, um, almost all of the ones that have written, letters um uh as strongly worded as let's say uh the BSA's letter um which roundly condemned this entire thing um to New York's which was a little bit more um middle of the road trying towards the affirmative uh most of the letters that have been sent by chapters have come from blue states um it has been very difficult to get we've polled here in Georgia, all the rest of the Southern states to see who's sent something and no one has sent a letter yet. Hmm. Um, and that's because our members are telling us on the one hand, Hey, you need to respond. And then we have some saying, if you step into the middle of this political quagmire, I'm going to quit. Yeah. Hmm. Can't win it. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, you do have to recognize there are different members, but, but I think it's, 
history is going to tell us in the long run that the voices that are speaking out here are going to be the ones that are going to be leading the profession. Sorry, leaving the profession or leading? Leading. Sorry, that's the sinus infection (laughs) talking. Um, Leading the profession. And uh, so we're going to have a little battle for the soul of the AA, I think, over the next few years. I mean, what is it? What do we really stand for? And if some of the members that think that we're being too, quote unquote, activists drop, then maybe we have to get used to being a little bit smaller organization, but one that has bigger impact. But I think what they failed to see, you know, business as usual status quo isn't working. It hasn't worked. And that this new idea that in order to convey our value to the communities that we serve, we have to be empathetic. We have to represent them. They have to be able to see us within us, people that have gone through their experiences and know their hardships or even successes and their cultures. And without that, we have no value to those communities. Exactly. Yeah. I, a theme that keeps coming up for me that I've seen and not, I mean, it's related to this, but it's not just solely attributed to this is that there seems to be a group of people with a voice who cares about the outcomes for other people. And your, your work at equity, you guys has, has really pushed this endeavor forward, but it's not just about, me and what I want, but it's about me doing everything that I can to make sure that you are successful Yes, and that, and that your, what, what matters to you also matters to me, even if it's not on my radar. Uh, and so if for us to be a community of architects in the AIA, that inclusivity really is, sounds to me like it's starting to matter a whole lot more. And it's not just about winning the job, but it's about moving forward in a in a way where uh, outcomes that matter to all of us are 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 making a bigger difference. And so we have this again unprecedented kind of opportunity through social media and because of these platforms that we've built to over over the last four or five six years to to have these voices and and let them spread um these conversations are are happening more and more and i think it's it's really interesting i mean this this has come up in so many different ways we have to care about our fellow development we have to we have to worry about how people are developing we have to think about our consultants business and how and and not just the bottom line but how can we help them get better how can we help other architects who don't have a voice, get a voice. And how do we, there's, there's so many ways that this is tying into us caring about what other people's, what, what matters to them. And so this is that platform that we're creating that has been created for us to use, I guess, through, through social media and through all these different various outlets, through, through all the reporting and the podcasting and the blogs and the, the forums and the websites. It, it's a way for people to come together that is totally unprecedented. And, and what's really intriguing to me is just how much people seem to be caring about what other people's um, outcomes are and not just their own. And that, to me, seems to be the, the shift in thinking that was a little – that was the tone-deaf part of the letter that was sent. But it's also the, the direct opposition to that in this kind of communication that everybody seems to be throwing out there is – 
like like every it's not just about me it's about us moving forward yes absolutely and i think it's about us in partnership with our clients too i mean it's and our communities exactly it's about it's about caring yes about the outcomes of our fellow professionals but i think more importantly you know we're helping our clients make the biggest investments that they'll make absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. and so it's our job to help them articulate their values which is why it's so critical that we're able to articulate our own Mm -hmm. well said so I wanted to point something out, and I, I sent you guys a link uh, through Skype on this. But on the same day that the tone deaf statement came out, um, the AIA staff actually wrote a um, a really brief article um, called "An Overview of President Elect Trump's Stances on Issues That Matter to the Profession," and, and they basically kind of outline you know energy infrastructure and, and things like that, and where you know where he stands and kind of, you know, outlines how it is, you know, somewhat, somewhat diametrically opposed to our values. And I wonder if the people who penned this small article um, had any conversation with the people who, <laughs> you know, penned um, the statement because they are absolutely opposite of each other. And so it just kind of shows that even though, there are a lot of great things that the AIA is shepherding um, in our profession. They need to start talking to each other a little bit more because <laughs> they're they're dropping you know on one link one statement and on another link a completely different statement. So it almost shows that we don't really have our shit together. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you know the worst part of this though. This is, um, they've changed it all from candidate Trump to president-elect Trump. But reading through this, I think that this is the language from the voter guide that the AIA puts together for members and sent out to all of us before the election. Hmm. Huh. Cut and paste. I, I yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it'd be word replace and word, right? Just go through candidate and replace with president-elect. Yep. Find change it. everything yeah. to the past tense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Greg, you mentioned earlier about the leader or the, a, a different generation or um, mm-hmm. other leaders coming forth over time. I'm curious, does that does that also mean that some of the current leadership and I'll just say specifically the CEO, Robert Ivey, do they need to move on to allow that to happen or should this it does this event and i'll say it's an event does this mean he needs to step aside um so i think if you're looking at should robert step aside um you've really got to consider this from two perspectives so the first is um what was his responsibility in this particular if, series of events Um, what was his level of responsibility? And I think the board, um, when they meet next month, um, should be asking, and I'm, I'm assuming they will, um, ask some very hard questions uh, about how all of this happened. And if his answers are not satisfactory, um, and there is a, um, perceived, um, lack of confidence in his leadership, 
then that is uh, absolutely grounds to consider terminating him or finding some way to um, uh, make that kind of a mutual um, departure. The second place I'd look to is to say, how is this, um, how has he been responsive to the membership in the wake of this? And, um, is he making up some ground with the apology, the video apology and some of the subsequent follow-up? Yes. But, um, that one's going to be a little tougher. That one's going to be a little bit tougher, I think. I think he's also been reaching out, though. Um, I know that he's reached out to Catherine. Mm-hmm. I know he's had a long week of calls uh, with uh, the major constituents trying you know, to communicate the same thing in the video, but in a more direct way. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a, an effort of... I think there may be an assumption that, well, he made the video and then they did the statement. So, you know, people perceive that as being all that they're doing. So the where do we go from here is something that I'd like to talk about. Because in the letter that Annalisa started and we worked on together, there were some suggestions about how to move forward. So it wasn't just a, we are angry with what you said. It was, if you really want this organization to continue on and be successful in the future, we recommend the following things that you do. So the first thing was the center, uh, the AIA's Civic Leadership Institute happened today. And there was a suggestion to make this one of the topics of conversation and how it ties into leadership. And then Alisa had suggested um, it was Build America, which happens in uh, two weeks after the week after Thanksgiving as opportunities to engage the membership in active real discussion about the hard questions. How do we rebuild infrastructure that is inclusive and benefits as many people as possible? You know, how do we go about allocating resources? Those are real conversations that we can't avoid. Yeah. And I think thinking about social infrastructure as just as important to architects purview as physical infrastructure. Correct. And so just to put in a plug in case you're listening, Robert, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think, I think the benefit there is that this whole conversation started around a tone deaf assessment of architects role in building infrastructure. And this upcoming event, um, is a place where they're going to be talking about infrastructure architects role and sort of leading that forward for the country. And then um, they will be uh, producing policy proposals that get delivered to the incoming administration. And so I think that some of these concerns that have been raised by the membership really need to be reflected in whatever policy recommendations end up being delivered, because that will be the AIA speaking on our behalf. Donna, where do you think we go from here? I, I keep thinking of um, Catherine Darnstadt talking um, this week on the Sessions podcast about how uh, architecture still has not really come to terms with the way that our the built environment does impact people. Uh, you know, I think the AIA, especially with a focus on getting the job or you know making sure that the 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 
economy is good so that we are all employed, which is important. And we all want to have, you know, we want to have livelihood. Um, we still haven't really come to terms with, with talking more specifically about how the built environment affects people across all social classes, all colors, everything. Um, and it can only be good for us as a profession if the broader public understands that we don't just do pretty objects that get plopped down on a site, but that we are engaged with much bigger questions of how do sites integrate all together to make a city? How do we have a community that's reflected through the built environment? And how can the built environment help to make that community function better? Um, you know, I, I feel like it's a very difficult, complex conversation, but ultimately only good can come out of it because the truth is we, can, we, we, we are good at this. We are good at taking a diversity of viewpoints from a client and a building committee and all the different groups we work with um, and bringing it into something that hopefully benefits the most, right? The most people. So even though those, those, those conversations are hard, I think, I do think that the younger members of our profession and especially those that are interested potentially in non-traditional paths um, are willing to have those conversations. And then ultimately we just have to make everyone know, yeah, we don't just design Trump towers and clad them in gold. <laughs> you know, we, we do <laughs> sidewalks and paving and gathering spaces and, and uh, all of the things that we do that make people, that give people community around built space or through built space. So. But I, but I, but I do want to come back to Evan's original question, which is, is Robert now going to have, the ability to carry that conversation on behalf of the AIA. I don't think so. <laughs> Not at this point. And, and I have, I have very serious doubts and I, and I think it's because there's just been, again, there's been so much general now press. I mean, we're in fast code, New York times, you know, Inc, whatever. This is just, you know, this is, spilled over beyond just architects newspaper and Twitter. Yeah. Um, it's a very difficult question to say whether he has, frankly, the moral authority having signed that letter personally to then lead, turn around and continue to lead that conversation. And I'm not trying to be unfair to Robert. I, I agree that on the whole, he's done a lot of good in helping advance a lot of things, and this is probably going to be an unfair, to some degree, um, blemish on his legacy. Um, but he's going to be in a very, he's going to have a very difficult path um, to figure out how to claim that mantle again, how to be that voice that transcends whoever the individual president is year after year. And uh, so that that's my question. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but no, no. is, is, you know, who is in charge of leading that discussion? Is it our CEO? Should it be? Um, hmm. In my local chapter, the executive director guides us and helps us make decisions, but the, mm -hmm. the, the elected officers are the ones who lead the discussion and decide what we're going to be talking about. And, you know, I, frankly, I, sorry, I don't, I barely remember the election this year. I wasn't particularly excited about any of the candidates. You know, at this point, I'm kind of wondering if we need younger, different voices to really, and it's hard work running for elected national office in the AIA is not for the faint of heart. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and just 
And, and another thing to br- to bring up is, is there no room for failure here? I mean, was the job too important to screw it up or is there just absolutely no space to fail? I mean, obviously we're going to learn from this. Everybody's going to learn from this, but is that unforgivable at some level? And, and then thinking about your, your point right there, Donna, with having younger people come in. I mean, it's just kind of part of the the process right is is screwing stuff up along the way we've all done it we've all grown up in this and we've all been told we're doing it wrong the whole time so so how does that fit into this and 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 how much room do we need to give to to make this right or to or to say nope it's time for something else i'm of the mindset of the phrase fail fast fail often and uh, actually through annalisa i've learned the saying you can fail in the moment, but not fail for life. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be more forgiving if we are to practice in a way that allows innovation. Because if we're all a fear, if we're all afraid of failure, because we will get the guillotine in this case, um, then nobody will try because we'll be afraid. You know, that's yeah. part of the problem we have as a nation right now is that we're all afraid. There's <laughs> different fears. <laughs> But we're all afraid, so we're kind of deer in headlights. What will we do, right? Yeah. But we have to overcome yeah. those fears in order to move forward. I think as an institute, we'll be there. What? Let me let me maybe rephrase the question um, differently, and and I can put this back to to uh, Evan and Cormac. What what would Bob need to do to? to make amends, to, to do something that it, uh, or a series of things that you can say, okay, you know, we understand you screwed up, but Hey, you're, you're back to leading us on, um, the right path again. Resign. Uh, <laughs> I won't necessarily <laughs> go that far. I, 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 think... I will. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the question was raised. How can he can he carry that mantle forward? I mean, Rosa, you mentioned making mistakes or trying to having that fear. This is not a I tried something and I failed and I'm going to keep going and try again. This was just sloppy. This was a a f- up. Yeah. <laughs> but this was a uh, this was a f- up of epic proportions. And I don't think you recover from this because how can you make a statement like this and then turn around and have the deer in the headlights video apology and multiple apologies and then a month later turn around and say, yeah, now I will be, oh, gee, I understand now I'm going to be your champion. I think he needs to leave and be replaced by somebody who can carry a new message forward. Well, so... Here's a guy who, and, and let me let me take an alternate tag here. So, here's a guy who I personally think probably just got caught completely off guard. That somebody else penned the statement, slapped his name on it because you know it was just a digital signature. Hey, hey put it out there. Yeah, CEO, Chief Executive <laughs> Officer. That's all I have to say about that statement. But just the website itself and the difference, the differing comments and stuff throughout the website itself shows that there is a 
a cluster of ideas of all these different, you know, differing opinions and things like that. And that's okay to a point, but when it starts to cloud the message. No, it's not. It's not okay. He's the CEO. There should be a, a collected uh, method and path about making sure that statements being issued for 89,000 people or members of, that pay a lot of money should be coordinated a little better. And if his organization is not coordinated well, then that's a problem. I think the true impact will be the membership uh, question, right? How many people who say they will resign or continue to say that they will resign actually do? Because that's the true measure of impact here, the negative impact but then isn't it isn't it kind of too late for that at that point? I mean, do we, do you just wait and see? Because that, that that seems like a no-win situation too. If there's a mass exodus of membership, he's done. You know, and that's just because it's not only just an embarrassment to him, but it's also a just a complete and utter failure. The challenge there, Cormac, is you, you, we're not going to know until next March or April when the final you know, uh, expiration on the memberships go, it's not going to be the people that just call up and quit and say, Hey, I'm, I'm angry. I'm not renewing. It's going to be the people that are just withholding their check and they're just never going to see, yeah, they're not going to send the checks in. And you really won't see that final number until sometime early next year. Until it's too late. Yeah. I I mean, I I think the other thing guys, I don't want to, I personally think that we're, sort of we're, we're better than an organization that should judge whether or not the CEO stays based on whether or not a bunch of our members quit. I mean, let's, we've treated, we've said that this is an opportunity for something really good. Let's see if he can be proactive and make good on it. And that's where I was trying to go before Mr. Yelling at the Clouds jumped in. <laughs> uh, because because oh, I, 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 you guys. I, I do honestly think that it's an opportunity for him. He f***ed up. Yes. Absolutely. And I don't didn't want to actually sound like an apologist for him. But where I was going with it was is he now has a huge opportunity. It, we're, we're talking about it's only been days. And he has a huge opportunity to fix his mistake by doing things like supporting these initiatives that Annalisa was talking about that, you know, let's start putting your money where your mouth is and really start showing both leadership. the world. Yeah. The leadership, but let's, let's show the world um, outside of the profession and inside the profession that we can overcome all of this stuff and let's really show our values. And it's by supporting all of these different initiatives that as of right now, probably have gone either underfunded or, you know, kind of put on a sideline. Let's, let's, you know, let's kind of study that for a little while. No, now it starts to really show what it really means to, you know, put our values on our sleeve. Cormac, I have a question for you. So all of these initiatives that you mentioned, we didn't get specific, but, we're just making generalities here, but underfunded issues, people not listening and not being heard. Doesn't that also fall under him as well? He's not listening. He didn't listen. He issued a 
Um, now, I'm assuming he issued it because it's his name signed on it. So let's assume he issued this statement that was tone deaf that created this huge uproar. He's not funding in, uh, uh, you know, inclusive initiatives and other things. So it's like, what the hell's going on here? They're not listening. So does I mean, I agree. It's an opportunity for him. But does do people want to follow him? But real but real quick, real quick. So here is the opportunity, though, because everybody is so pissed off at him. They're staring at him. What are you going to do next? So here is a perfect opportunity for him to grab a hold, lead and really show what he could do. My point is he hasn't been leading. I'm not saying he is. Uh, I, oh. I I don't want to be the ultimate apologist here, but I do want to I, a tremendous amount of progress has been made on these issues. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> Over the last five, ten years, um, if, if we're going to include climate change in the conversation. Um, and resiliency. And, and resilient cities, all of that stuff. And so, yeah, we are at a precipice. But the fact that the membership did speak up is an indication that this conversation is going on. And I think the AIA actually has been supporting it. They just haven't been making it as central as they should. And that's exactly the point, though, Annalise. I mean, I think that's I think that's where Cormac's trying to go. And that's probably where my particular frustration is, which is, what are we articulating? And I don't think this is right. really, for me, a question about where the Institute is. It's a question of exactly how are we communicating? And what kills me about this whole thing is... Bob's the media guy. I know. He's the guy that ran, you know, Arch Record. He's the guy right, that right. knew the media better than anyone. Right. Old media. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, maybe, but it's a fair question. But it's also, it's a Don Draper view of an architect. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. All right. So. Guys, where where do we go from here? We've been at it for a little more than an hour now. Wh- where where do we go from here? What do we hope happens? We I am personally lobbying for an equity, diversity, and inclusion landing page on AIA.org. Um, that's something that I feel very passionate about. The Diversity and Inclusion Council has been in existence for over 10 years. It always feels like a back page, you know, hard to yeah. find, yeah. don't really know who's involved. You, how, how many of you know who the diversity council members are this year? And if you <laughs> wanted to look for it, go try because you can't find them. And the equity and uh, architecture commission has been meeting all year, progressing along. And yes, we can't uh, give the final recommendations out yet, but there could have at least been an update on what's been progressing and the good work that has been happening. Right. And yet again, now that it's a statement where it is part of the core values, that it should be a practice what you preach. So celebrate it, make it prominent, show people that you are working on it, right? Yeah, because I'm on the website right now, and I can't find it anywhere. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that if if the position of equity concerns as well as sustainability concerns aren't forefronted more then that's that's going to mean that we've um squandered that, that this opportunity has been lost um because the voices are out here waiting to be heard and we want other people to be able to find those of us that can answer questions in those realms and there's also intersectionality where 
they're all tied together. Ultimately, we're we're living on planet Earth. We're humans, so it can't just be sustainability in a silo because people right. impact right. sustainability, right? And health and safety and welfare, etc. So I feel that with the new website, there is an opportunity to be smarter about connecting the dots in a way that we've seen living futures do more successfully. You know, I don't, I'm not slamming what we've done so far, but I think, again, it's the communication, it's the connecting the dots, it's the mapping. There's so much mapping technology and interactive websites going on right now. I am befuddled with all the hype about the new website that it doesn't have those capabilities. You know, to, it, it's faster, um, it might look cleaner, the font looks better, but, you know, what, what do we get for all that? digital transformation yeah right yeah if we're not communicating better with membership if members can't talk to each other in a more quick in a more communicative powerful way what good is the website right because there is no like it doesn't seem like there's knowledge um sharing or anything else kind of like readily available on the website to it's just a pretty splash page (laughs) I want to see, I want to see leadership that inspires action in all of the points that you just made. And I want to see them communicate that verbally. I want to see them communicate it in writing to the president elect. I want to see them communicate it to the membership so that people get off their butts and stop watching this on a couch and on Twitter and get out and and do something and not just, just stop talking about it and actually do something. And I feel like that vision has to be set by the CEO who is going to lead us into the next decade. And the only way that that's going to happen is, is if they do that quickly. And it's, and if people, it, it's not going to be long before it, it will be deemed that it took too long Yeah, and everybody's going to be ready to move on. And I have to clarify, I'm not just complaining and moaning about that here. I've actually put case to action. I've emailed AIA.org. I've tweeted about it on national. I had a phone call with Robert this afternoon that these were my specific concerns. So I urge everybody else to do the same. Like we could talk amongst ourselves, right. but if it doesn't get to AIA or communicated to AIA, they still don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and if that, if that's the takeaway from this podcast and let, let it be. So I think that this is the type of thing that hopefully will get people listening and, and, up in arms and, you know, just off their butts and, and get out there and, and do something about it. So that call to action is, is huge. Let's be change agents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. How about you, Greg? What's your, uh, where do you hope to see this go? Well, I mean, I think we've um, covered a lot of what internally, let's say within the profession or, or specifically within AA, what we need to do. But I, um, if I could take, um, my little time here to maybe make a, a a broader reference to what we do. There was a passage out of Annalisa's and Rose's statement that a friend of mine, who's not even an architect in Atlanta, highlighted on my Facebook page that I think um, is worth repeating, which just simply says, as architects, we are often tasked with working on behalf of many while in the consultation with a powerful few. It is our responsibility to reflect and protect the communities that we serve, which often means advocating for those who have not been included in the decision-making process. We do not simply provide our clients with what they initially tell us they want to see. 
but instead work with them to envision a future in which they are their best selves and protect the planet for the future generations. This is what architects do. This is the value that we provide, and this is the basis for our continued relevance. And you can apply that to how AIA should be seeing us, but um, I think if that's not the message that we're taking out as the AIA going forward, then I don't think we have the right people in place. But we also have to be ambassadors. Yes, they have to communicate with their powerful communication networks, but we ourselves are the grassroots bottom-up as well to be the ambassadors for change. Yeah, I'm personally going to make a commitment to being a lot more in... You know, I've never gotten involved in the process by which the AIA decides on its policy positions and decides... I mean, at the end of the day, AAA National is a lobbying organization. They go out and advocate for us in society. And it's up to us to tell them what positions we want them to advocate for. And if we don't do it, they are going to make it up on our behalf. Well, if we don't tell them, somebody will. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, if anything uh, comes out of this whole conversation, hopefully that's the message. Get out there, make your voices heard, and communicate uh, what the, what you want to hear or what you want to see with the national group. And I think this will be, uh, as Evan said, I think very early on, what a, a fantastic opportunity that this particular oops, as Cormac <laughs> mentioned earlier, uh, has done. And and hopefully we're trying, to, and, and what we tried to do here tonight is really just kind of add to that and push and give some thoughts and some hopefully um, reactions to what we can do and push people to do that. And, and I want to personally thank everybody here for joining us tonight. Gregory Walker, Donna Sink, Rosa Shang, and Annalisa Pitts. Thank you very much for taking your time to join us for this important issue. I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk about this after a week of time to kind of digest some of the reactions. And uh, so thank you all for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you.